It's a tired question to ask, what is love? Instead, today we'll try asking, what is love when it's unreciprocated? The wonderful feeling that we know so well can turn into ash when it's not given back. My name is Charlie, and this is episode two of Shit I'm Not Proud Of. Limerence, or unrequited love. For many of us, managing unrequited love can feel a bit like disarming a bomb. Regardless of who's carrying the feelings and in which direction, the whole experience can be damaging to all parties involved. In this episode, we'll explore some of the dynamics of both sides. For the receiver of unrequited love, it can be challenging or even hostile to fend off the responsibility of feelings we do not wish to receive. I found myself thinking, I'm going to have to come up with some truly vile shit to say to make this stop. On the other hand, the transmitter, if we can call it that, might have their own reasons for not accepting the reality of the situation. Either I wasn't hearing it because I was too pig-headed, or there could have just been this element of like my bullshit detector was going off for a reason and I wasn't being told the truth. Well, this whole experience is probably not exclusive to romantic entanglements, that's where we'll start today. And with that, Act 1, What Happened. Hi, Anna. Hi, Charlie. So this past weekend, I uh, I have quite an old friend, old friend from the city that I just moved here from, and um, figured, you know, since he didn't have any birthday plans, guy was feeling a little sorry for himself. I thought we had kind of moved into a juncture of life where we could be really, really good buddies. Every all signs are pointing to yes. Invited him to the show. We had a great time. We got goofy. We had a couple of I love you man moments. And then just drunk happened to him. So, <laughs> like, like a comet oh man, came down from the it sky. Was, it was like a switch was just <laughs> flipped. So, Oh, man. And what happened next? So he began to talk about feelings. And he started to talk about our past. And, you know, we, we've been there for each other through the success, the, you know, the separate successes and failures of quite a few relationships now. I've have seen him go through lots of trial and tribulation with his uh, lovely ex. You know, we've, we've been able to be there for each other as friends. I had a small romantic little fling a long time ago. The fling did not last. It didn't work out. And, you know, I, I found myself missing my friend and also feeling bad that he didn't have plans for his 29th birthday. Uh. So invited him down to the show. Um, very familiar, much beloved group called Thievery Corporation. We were very excited to go to the show. He was super grateful. And we had a great time growing out for, you know, at, at least the first half of the show. Bought him some birthday drinks. I probably regrettably bought him too many birthday shots. And eventually he starts talking about feelings and all of the things that just generally make me feel all squiggly inside when he brings them up. Mm. It's just the wrong person to bring it up. Made me very uncomfortable. Kind of tried to get back to the show and change the subject a couple of times. He just wasn't having it, you know. To no avail. No, wasn't having it. Started to get pouty. And, ma- and started to try to make me feel like I was being insensitive just because I was, I felt that I was trying to preserve our friendship by saying, no, man, you know, like we've... We've been down this road before. There are reasons why we don't work out. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh. That was the beginning was, was that the, of something very uncomfortable. The door opened, oh and God. you were like, oh, fuck. This door doesn't close. <laughs> it didn't. I could not close the door on that self-worth bullshit. Did you ever see the movie The Hateful Eight? 
Yeah. One of the best parts of that story, I thought, was the door that everybody had to nail shut. So every time a character made an entrance onto the scene, there was a big sort of yelling drama where everybody's yelling at the person who opens the door to to nail the door shut. Close the damn door. Yeah. And it's like a there's this panic that sets in. You're like, oh, Jesus, there's just nothing I can do in this situation. But like... I don't. Know, I don't know. I mean, can you eat? Can you eat your words? Can you swallow it? Is it possible to de-escalate from that, or do you just have to walk away? The way that this story kind of winded wound down was that I finally just had to get super real and say, you know, I I really thought that you could handle being friends. We've been friends whenever we lived lived in the same city. I'm really sorry that all of this is coming up for you right now. Maybe it's kind of compounding because you're getting another year older. You've been single for a while. We all have. I feel your pain, but I can't, I'm not going to be able to fill this void for you that you've created. Mm. And I can't stop you from making this about your own self-worth. And I feel terrible that you're having this moment, but if you can't walk away, then I don't, from from this and stop beating a dead horse, I don't know what we're going to do here. Sure. On the other side of it, I was starting to get frustrated. I felt myself losing my patience. And I felt myself um, just being backed in the, into a corner and being backed into being a person that I don't want to be, which is someone who is insensitive and not in touch. That's a very strange phenomenon for me, but he just wouldn't let me smooth it over. What and, about that situation made you feel as if you weren't being sensitive to what's going on? That seems to me like it's an innately sensitive, it's an innately aware position to be sitting in. I just felt myself getting impatient after an hour of talking about the same thing. Uh, so um, you couldn't couldn't change subjects when it maybe got a little bit tired. Yeah, I would I would try, you know, like I would give him a definitive answer, which is, you know, like please stop saying that you're going to wait for me to come around because I'm not going to come around. I've been single for months and I have not thought about calling you that way. Mm. So I, I felt myself getting impatient. I felt myself getting confused and. During the time that I was experiencing all of those emotions, I also felt very sorry for him and very helpless in the situation. And I, I also felt a little resentful. I felt like he was being selfish by just like hanging on to it, which was, I don't know, this whole thing just like made me feel guilty and mad at the same time. So much seems familiar about this story. I, I think that uh, when I first considered that we should start talking about this, it was because there are elements of both hearing that story that I kind of identify with in my own experience. And also there's so many times when you can normally at least have the distance from some situation that you can laugh about it. It's not just the pain or not just the discomfort, but also like, you know, these cringeworthy moments that you sort of, you want to like equally crit, like cry and laugh and, 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 <laughs> right. and get it all out simultaneously. Right. It's like watching Meet the Fockers. You just are cringing and laughing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. At least I am. Totally. No, it's, it's, uh, I think that it probably takes a level of nimble or like, uh, you have to be sufficiently adept to identify when you're in one of those situations. Like, it could be that whatever signal he needs or I need or anybody needs to say, oh, geez, maybe I'm in a, bad conversation. Maybe I'm, I'm draining the life force out of the person that I'm talking to. It's really how I felt. When you're feeling sensitive or when you're feeling vulnerable, it could be that some of that, that mechanism that allows you to even be aware of those situations just turns off. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, 
again, I felt guilty for being mad about it, but I was. Sure. Um, and think the fact that we just talked about it for so long made it increasingly more difficult for me to access the compassion side. Um, I don't know. I, I know that I've been on the other side of that, but I also know that the person that I was talking to about, about my, I mean, it felt like a sickness and affliction. That's what unrequited love feels like, you know, knowing that someone doesn't love you back, not being able to get rid of that feeling. You feel kind of sick because it's something that you're doing to yourself kind of. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But um, I also valued the friendship enough in, in my personal situation to, to let it go. Once I've said my piece with it, you say it, one time, like that's, everyone deserves a chance to, to be able to say that and to be really authentic and completely honest with a friend. So I just remember feeling this past weekend that he just didn't care about our friendship. Interesting. He was like forcing me to kind of divorce him, sort of. Uh, like um, bring the conversation to a cusp. Uh, right. It's like, don't make me be, be mean to you. I This is the last time I want to be mean to you is when you're saying something that should just like blow me away. Mm. And you want that, that success to, or you have like some idea of what yeah, the you, out- outcome of this conversation is going to be if we do talk about it. Yeah. So this is something that I wanted to talk about. And I think that, you know, it's important for sure to get your story out and get that off your chest and have it take the weight away. I mean, I think the last thing that I said to you the other day was try to find ways to distract yourself not because not paying attention to it is necessarily a good thing, but because you can only handle so much weight before processing just doesn't continue any further. Right. right. And, and I think that uh, a good act two to this show is where are, where's the humor in all of this? Like where, where are the parts that we can laugh about it? Because there are some silly things here, right? Like I, I'm sure you and I are not the only people who have felt this incident of God, I really want this conversation to go one way. <laughs> it just goes totally sideways. Yeah, it's into a different no direction. dice. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> and, and there's so much irony in, in hearing something like that from, from someone that is very dear to you in just a different way. You know, like you want all, all of the things that they want to work out for them, but if it involves you, like, mm. It's, <laughs> Run like, the other it's like there's this distinction between um, a very general sense of prosperity and wealth and goodness that you want upon your friends and for all people. And then when it becomes a very personal thing or all of a sudden you direct that nozzle inward and you're like, oh, God, that's way too much. Take very the spotlight off me, Jack. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, gosh. I I feel for both of you and him in this story because... I've said very similar things. I've taken very similar stances in the last breakup of my life. Yeah. uh, Or the most recent one. Uh, There's this idea that happens and it it shows up in movies. Like I think it's John Cusack holding like the boom box above his head, standing in the rain, playing some shitty music and saying like, Oh, this will, this is all I need to do to get the message across. <laughs> right. If I say it loudly enough, then she will not be able to ignore it. Right. Or like somehow that this, this gesture is, it overcomes whatever hesitation was there in the first place. But all of those things that you see in the movies, like they, they really are kind of, there are so many instances in which not giving up and not taking 
no for an answer is a, is a good way to look at disappointing situations. But when it comes to love and when it comes to all the things that come with romantic love, you have to take no for no mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, this is like, I feel that very strongly that this is going to be a very central theme in, in our talks, which is when to when to leave. Yes. What, it always when, comes when back to When is quitting that. hour? If, if only there was a bartender for life that just showed up and rang the bell and said, hey, you're cut off. <laughs> no, you need, you need the guy on the other side of the stage with the hook to just drag you away. Yeah. You're like holding the, <laughs> the straw <laughs> umbrella. And, oh man. Yeah. If, if my whole life was just a bunch of Looney, Tune car- Looney Tunes cartoons, I think I'd be okay. Yeah, me too. Uh, that sort of guidance or that certainty, it, it, it's, de- it's managing the ambiguity of these situations that makes it so hazardous. Right. I mean, also you can, you can look at other, I mean, you, you can look at all the chick flicks and see all these, all these things convince you that if you try hard enough and show up enough for someone, eventually you're going to wear them down and they're going to say yes. But who wants that? Like who, yeah. who wants that kind of love? Like why well, I love him or her so much because they just like wouldn't give up and they loved me more than anyone else that I really wanted. Like that's terrible. Mm. That's terrible. Sometimes like timing makes things not work out. There are all kinds of things that like make something wrong for the moment, but I don't know. When have you been the one who doesn't love as much back? Oh yeah, I mean that's definitely happened as well. And I, absolutely, I, I think especially as I you know in in times when I'm finding myself like getting back into being single, um, there's a funny thing that happens where you have to decide whether it's better better to be the dumper or the dumpy. Oh my god, no one wins. And there. <laughs> It's it's a yeah it's like a, a standoff right everybody's pointing a gun at each other's head and <laughs> and 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 there's no good way out of that situation and no. yet you still have to navigate it you still have to find yourself saying like oh well fair enough this isn't for me but I need out or I need to be so unpleasant to you that you kick me out right I found myself thinking. I'm going to have to come up with some truly vile shit to say to make this stop, which is just terrible and definitely not something that I'm proud of, but I did not know what else to do. And I don't find myself in an emotional situation very often where I don't, I genuinely don't know what to do. Well, it's like you find yourself in this situation where you have to almost become like the, the, the cartoon villain (laughs) Right. You have to make yourself a caricature of something so unpleasant that it breaks out of whatever the routine that you're in. And maybe that's not a reflection of who you f- truly are or how you're feeling or anything like that, but it is a very real reaction. Like there is a time when maybe it's not true on an absolute scale or not. I mean, like who knows about these things? There's no way to make a full judgment, but there could be just a time where you need to polarize. You need to galvanize either like into the yes camp or the no camp or onto the, like one side of the fence or the other, that sort of thing. Right. There's, there's an amazing, um, an amazing writer who his, his policy is fuck yes or fuck no. Mm. Um, so absolutely. That, it's like a weird extension of Taoist decision making. I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you wait for the decision to come and just kind of slap you in the face. And then that's, that's how you know it's the right one. Right. Yep. It's gotta be strong. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like in these situations, though, honesty and and not 
not just telling somebody what they want to hear just because they are someone that you care about is still a very important thing to do no matter how uncomfortable it is. Yeah. There's nothing worse than finding out later that someone was really just too uncomfortable to tell you the truth, which means that they were never really being a friend to you. That's like, the that's ultimate display so of respect, terrible. I think. Absolutely. And it's it's the reason why I, in my own adventure, like I spent so much time lingering around this breakup situation is because I didn't feel like I was being treated honestly. I didn't feel like whatever the actual thing that needed to be said is. Either I wasn't hearing it because I was too pig-headed or there could have just been this element of like my bullshit detector was going off for a reason and I wasn't being told the truth. Yeah, there was no just out with it moment. And so in those moments, you know, I feel like it just, it has to be approached from like a two-prong framework. On the short term or in the immediate situation, there's that you're having the drinks and there's like too many apple teenies and then all of a sudden the truth bombs start coming out and you're like, oh, fuck, this is not the kind of truth that I really wanted to subscribe to on like an evening of dance music. Right. So there's a whole set of skills you need to build to be adept enough to deal with that situation. You can scale it back. Sure. You can come back from those moments and that's. Yeah, yeah. That's why that shit is so frustrating is because it is possible to recover. And you break the ice or you find some way to 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 tone it down or to right. tell a joke to to um relieve the awkward elephant in the room tension. So there's that one set of skills which is just the immediate conflict resolution like I'm in an emergency and I need this skill set and then I think that there's also this other totally separate thing that we started to scratch on here which is that like on the long term I need to know what my truth is and I need to know how to speak it. And I need to have the courage to be like, well, this kind of sucks. Maybe not even for me, but for you, (laughs) lol, too bad. (laughs) For us. And (laughs) I mean, for us is like the real answer. Sure. Yeah. No, that's legit. But I mean, the the punchline here is just that the skills that you need to talk about long-term truth, I think are different from the ones that you need to deescalate a situation. Right. Yeah. And it's so much more acceptable to be, really, really galvanizing, at least in my opinion, in the short-term management of a situation, because that might be the only way you can break out of whatever mental rut you and the person you're interacting with have gotten stuck into. Yeah, it definitely takes two to finesse and de-escalate. Definitely takes two to do that. Um, if if both parties are not interested in like saving the moment and protecting each other from something that could be so awkward that it's damaging, then... That's when you're in trouble and that's when you do have to have a galvanizing moment where it's just like, hell no, absolutely not. Shut it down. Shut it all Power down. Power shift. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and no one in the adult world wants to have to do that. It's it's scary, man. That's conflict is a thing that we are I'm at I'm a huge conflict avoider. I don't know how to not do that. Um, it's taken me many years just to learn how to speak my piece in a single moment. Yeah. Um, and still I think I fail to do it more often than not. I feel like that's part of what growing up is, though. Like, I mean, I, I've been in so many situations where I have just been a people pleaser and gone along with something, like maybe not even in a romantic relationship, but just like not really being fully on board with something, not knowing how to articulate that in a way that's diplomatic but still truth-bearing. Um, and I've been really dissatisfied. You know, like sometimes being a yes person is a great thing, but— Knowing how to say no gracefully is definitely a skill set. And it's not a very fun practice. You're never going to have a moment that 
really drives home the importance of of knowing how to do that and look back on it and say, man, that was fun. <laughs> um, it never is, but it's kind of in the same family as like learning how to advocate for yourself. You have to say no, you have to tell the truth and act with integrity or, you know, you're just going to find yourself in the wrong situation your whole life. Mm. So let me ask you this. In your experience, is it better to be the dumper or the dumpy? There's no right answer for that. I've been both. <laughs> I mean, at, at least at least being the dumpy, people feel sorry for you. <laughs> um, you know? So I can honestly, I more often than not, I've been the one to leave. Mm. Um, been the one to leave, but I can honestly say that I would probably rather be left, even though there's so much less control in being left. Mm. I mean, and then there's the waiting for the closure. There's the waiting for like the truth to come out if somebody didn't really give you defined reasons. It all sucks. Like, let's be real. It, it's all terrible and no one wins in either situation. Being the one to leave, you are kind of a pariah. You lose a lot of friends. Um, there's always a fallout from being the one to leave, for sure. Unless it was just a terrible situation like abuse or, and, you know, there are situations in which there isn't a super distinct fallout, but that's few and far between. Right. I would still rather be the one who who gets dumped though, just because the responsibility of it all and the burden of being the one to leave is pretty immense. It does. Yeah. It, it almost seems as if it's less work, but you know, I've lived on both sides of it and I still don't have a good answer either. I think that they both equally suck for totally different reasons. Yeah. I definitely have control issues. Like it was way harder for me to be the one that was dumped, but it was also easier for me to let it go mm. once I accepted it. We spent some more time unpacking Anna's experience, but decided that there was still much more to explore other than just what had happened. It probably seems trivial to break down the things that went wrong in situations like these, especially when you're looking at it after the fact. In reality, it's not uncommon to find that the impulsive or quick-minded truth that we express in a single moment can be wildly different from the more refined ideas that we carry with us, especially the next day or the next week. Regardless of your feeling of how either side should behave here, there's an underlying framework that is important. It's the motivation of where these feelings are coming from and what fuels them that we wanted to talk about. Which brings us to Act 2, to whom the feelings may concern. Yes. I want to talk about some of these more amusing things because this shit just makes me laugh pretty hard yes. when I go through it. So I, I spent some time doing a little bit of research on this subject, and I found things that made me... I had a reaction, and I want to hear how you feel about some of these stories, because I think they're just amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there was a, an Ask Reddit thread a few weeks ago. And before we get into the more focused on unrequited, I think there's just like this other dimension of just cringeworthy shit that happens in relationships <laughs> that I think really speaks to the heart and soul of this podcast. All right, bring it. What is the cringiest thing you did in your first relationship. Oh God. Some of my, my, I don't even know if I can do this and keep a straight face. We were in seventh grade and had been dating for maybe two weeks. I printed a marriage certificate and showed it to her the first time she came over to my house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she called her mom and asked to go home immediately. <laughs> 
I like that one. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> the the calling the mom and asking right. to go home. That's that adeptness of being able to handle like in a short term consequence <laughs> of a situation. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I want to go home. I want to go home now. Time to go. All right, and this is this is my last uh, of these. Well, she said that she thought we would be better off just being friends. So I decided that I needed to do some grand, big gesture to prove my love. It always worked in the movies, so what could go wrong? I practiced singing the song for weeks on my ukulele, and I figured that I would wait until after her softball practice was done and surprise her. I sang You're Beautiful by James Blunt <laughs> in front of all of her friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ways to alienate and embarrass people. Oh, my God. Well, that one is definitely talk worthy. That last <laughs> one, I mean, everything about Hollywood and rom-coms in general sets you up to think, again, you know, that with that kind of effort, um, it's highly likely that you'll be able to change their mind because you're just willing to make a complete and utter fool of yourself. And don't be wrong, like love will make you do that sometimes. People are fools for love. There are so many, so many I mean, there are songs about it. There are stories about it. There are love falls in every category, including horror, mm. you know. Um, but in real life, it's just creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's, creepy it's just because— It's not like a thing that people do. It's not a thing that sane people do. <laughs> you know, no matter how well-intentioned, it's— Someone says no, don't proceed to spotlight and embarrass them for rejecting you. So— This gives rise to an interesting question, I think. As we go through these cringeworthy moments and and tell stories and maybe, at least speaking personally, feel a little bit of sympathy pains for shit I've done myself that I feel similarly about, I, I heard an interesting question as I started to digest this topic, which is, if you find yourself stuck in a position where you're feeling that unrequited love, do you actually want to move on? Is the pain and the heartbreak and the heartache of the situation that you're in, does it become its own sort of uh, catharsis or, or, or does it give back in its own way? I think that that's a super valid question. I had a question that I wrote down um, just a few minutes ago and I was thinking about how I wanted to approach this was, is it just the chase? You know, um, I think a lot of people definitely develop a relationship with pursuing something that doesn't, that isn't pursuing them back. Right. And is it possible to still see the person? I think the extension to this question is like, if you are holding on to something and you find yourself maybe even getting a little bit of a twisted pleasure out of continuing to hold on to it, is it possible that maybe you're not holding on to that person and instead it's an idea, a dream, the sort of the four agreements style I have a a pillar or a statue and there's a monument in my mind for what you represent. And I'll drive all the way down from Fort Collins to say all these things to you. But I actually, I might not even be seeing you when I'm saying these words. Like you might be a shell occupying a thing that I'm talking at. And like, there's a pair of ears in front of me, but is it you or is it just my idea of who you are? I think that you're definitely losing sight of the person for sure. Um, if you're feeding into sort of, you're feeding into like to all the reasons why they might be shying away from 
what you're saying, but still might be harboring feelings for you. And it's, I mean, I think it's a dehumanizing experience for both parties, really. Yeah, it's not fair to either person. I agree. Um, just because you're both being put in a situation that if you could think about it rationally without a lot of emotion, neither one of you would want to be in. Um, and rejection does make people do things, like strange things to people just mentally and Absolutely. emotionally. It's crazy um, the change that can happen in a person when they experience rejection of, of any kind or failure. It's all kind of the same thing. Um, I certainly felt in my most recent experience, like he wasn't even hearing my human response mm. to what he was saying after a while. And he was more playing into guilt and his own like self-worth issues because we did end up talking about some self-worth stuff, um, which, which we all have. Like it's, it's not that that is abnormal, and loving someone who doesn't love you the way that you want them to love you back um, will definitely trigger some self-worth issues for sure. And so then it does become more about you and less about them. Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of a long-winded answer, but in this situation it does, like indulging an unrequited situation um, does turn it into a different kind of beast after a certain point. And it is, it is more about your relationship with yourself than it is about your relationship with them after a certain point, if you just can't let it go. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that there's like a, almost a, a twisted pleasure to the whole experience, right? Like you're, you're indulging in a thing maybe as a coping mechanism. Right. You know, I, I, I spent seven months, give or take struggling to figure out what had just happened to me being faced with seemingly a blindsided breakup that was completely unilateral. And in that experience, there was no reconciling for why. There was nothing about how I got into that situation that I could even make sense out of. Even to this day, I don't believe that I can give a concrete linear narrative of how we got from there to here. In that process, I learned that it might not actually have a whole lot to do with that. And the way that I started to find peace was to sort of identify that the transition for me wasn't so much to understand why we were in the situation we were in, but rather, who am I now? And what is this vision that I had for who I was and what my future was going to have in it? Now that that's changed, now that that contract is completely switched, how much do I have to reassimilate? How much do I have to find this new idea of self that's not a function of this relationship that I just thought was my whole life? And I don't have any good answers to these things. I know that in time, no matter how bad the pain hits, it will find a way to dissipate if you let it. But it just kind of gets back to that original question of like, Maybe if you're harboring all these feelings and they're not actually for a real person, but instead this monument that you've built in your head, what does it take to identify it as that? Like, what are the steps? I don't really know what the treatment plan is here, but in my own experience, the process was mostly about disarming these falsely labeled things, turning them from actual people to just ideas, turning them from a identity 
to a fantasy of an identity or a life that just right. was never realized. Right. I feel like in this, in some situations like this, it, you're also like, you have to take that life that you would have had and that person, all of the highlights versus all of the downfalls off of a pedestal that you've created because it didn't work out. Mm. You know, I mean, this is a very common thing when, when things, when romantic relationships don't work out, you remember the good times when you reflect. A lot of us do. I definitely have. And that's what kind of keeps that picture alive in your mind. The way that I've seen people successfully let go of situations in which they felt like they were doing more loving and not being loved enough is to really, really dig deep and remind themselves that they deserve so much more than that. Yeah. And it's it's a process, I think, that's worth adding. It's definitely a coming home process for sure, which yeah. is coming back to yourself because what leads so many of us to these unrequited situations is having deserted ourselves in the beginning. Sure. Having overextended and overcompromised because there was an imbalance. I think that it's worth calling out if this is advice that we would send to the airwaves. It will take time. And that reminding thing is not going to happen just once, right? No. If you find yourself stuck in this limerence, in this place where you feel like you're on a one-sided track, those intrusive thoughts are going to continue. Those ideas and obsessions or whatever it is that's kind it of is like obsession. Feel it feeding the blues. Yes. It doesn't go away overnight. There's no silver bullet that just fires and then all of a sudden you're released from it. There are moments certainly that feel that way, but there will still be internal backlash. There will still be a back and forth that happens as you start to disarm some of these ideas in your own experience. And uh, it's just something that I would, I would definitely want to tack or like bolt on as an additional component to this advice that you throw out, right? Is that you have to be patient with it. You have to let it happen in its own time because sometimes... And it's going to be slower than you wanted it to. <laughs> yeah. You have to be patient. You have to allow yourself to be um, observant of this inner narrative. Because I feel like a lot of what really fuels the fire in these situations is the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm. You know, like one thing that I heard the other night coming out of this person's mouth over and over again is like, I just feel like I'm not good enough. You know, and, and that's a very uncomfortable thing to hear come out of someone else's mouth, but it's something that we all think to ourselves yeah. at some point. Hearing someone else say it is just sounds crazy, especially <laughs> if it's someone that you like and admire. And Do you get the sympathetic pains the oh, same absolutely. way I was when it's I was like, telling no, these stories no, earlier? that's yeah. not true at all. Like, <laughs> it's not that, you know, like, because it's absolutely not, you know, but I think that that's what makes this cycle in particular such an addictive one is because it, for all of us that do, and every every adult has moments where they struggle with with not feeling like they're enough in some way. And this is one way that really, really hits home and really just like confirms that narrative that we all have. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, it definitely, I kind of forgot where I was going with that, That's but it okay. definitely turns it into more of like just a narrative cycle that you have to separate from at some point and be like, you know what though? That is total bollocks and absolutely not true. Yeah. And this is something that I'm playing into 
And my recovery from this moment may not happen overnight, but but that is absolutely not true. And that is the backbone of all this. The backbone of all of this is a lie, which is that I am not good enough. This is just not the right situation. This would have been bad anyway. Right. Because I have more to offer. I deserve more. Everyone does. It's like a two-part response when you hear stuff like that, right? It's on one hand, damn, I don't want that kind of responsibility. And on the other, you have to, I think, fundamentally just reject the thesis entirely that you have any responsibility for somebody else's validity, right? Like that whole concept of self-worth has to come from within by it definition. Always and sometimes it gets within. displaced. And that fear of rejection or that fear of reciprocation can certainly erode at the concept of somebody's self-worth. But as the receiver of it, I don't think that that's a thing that anybody could reasonably take a responsibility for. No. No, your self-worth is all about your relationship with yourself. And no one can, no one should have the power to affect the way that you feel about your own personal worth. The should and like whether they do versus whether they should, completely different beasts. And mm. many of us, you know, I mean, codependency is a real thing. And I think that a lot of people make selections in partners based on self-worth things. And that's, again, like, I mean, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother episode, which is why we choose the people that we choose. Write but, it down. <laughs> I mean, why yeah. we choose the people that that we choose, I mean, I know, I know what my patterns are. Yeah. For sure. And I know that there have, I can look back in my life and see the times that I was playing into my own personal narratives. And I can definitely see how that directly correlates with my selection and partner Mm. and what they were able to get away with and just the balance of the relationship. One thing that I did want to bring up about the unrequited love situation is um, is talking about just the balance of relationships. I may not have spent too much time pursuing people that I knew didn't love me back. I've had a couple of unrequited love moments for sure, just like everybody else. But um, I definitely have found myself in romantic relationships where I felt that I was the one who loved more. So mm. initially we were in love equally, which, you know, is what led to like a long-term relationship. But I think that in every romantic relationship, there are so many ebbs and flows and so many different balances and you can't always meet each other halfway. And I think that that's the way that I've felt sort of an unrequited feeling, um, commonly in my life. Um, and it's strange also when that happens because you're, you know, you're with someone who, says that they love you. Maybe the actions don't back it up. Maybe they're not making time. Maybe you're compromising too much or giving too much. Any and all those things, like, you know, classic examples. But um, I just think that there are a lot of ways to feel like you're not being met fully, which is really what this whole episode is about. Mm. So even if, you know... Good tie-in. Even if you don't get... um, Even if you, like, haven't been rejected... um, when you're presenting your feelings to someone in a brand new way, you can still be compassionate and relate because everyone has felt what I'm talking about. Not being met fully by a partner is a different form of heartbreak and it creates different narratives and different obsessions, but it's all within the same, the same realm mm. of bullshit. 
It's the, the dictionary of bullshit. Are you familiar with the dictionary of obscure sorrows? No, this is <laughs> no, it sounds depressing. One of the most amazing <laughs> blogs I think I've ever stumbled across on the internet. I did a little bit of research for you, Anna, and for those of you listening, I highly recommend checking this out. Um, but I will say this much. I researched this topic before coming in to record today and found out that there is a word for this experience from the psychological term, and it's called limerence. And oddly enough, although most of the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, I think, fills in somewhat fictitious terms, there is no entry for limerence. And maybe there should be, because the phenomenon that this gentleman that joined or became the accidental subject of this talk this evening and all of the other phenomena of feeling unrequited love, it exists, it's out there, it's real, and it's okay. And the one thing that I learned this evening is that there is also probably a second entry right after limerence, which is being the limerent object, the receiver of this attention, because that is its own process that you have to cope with and deal with and learn how to navigate as any good person or walker of the earth may need to. So these are the lessons that I've learned. Anna, if you had any closing remarks, this would be a good time to follow up. I believe that we may have exhausted the subject. <laughs> I'm, I'm in agreement with that. Solid. Good night and good luck. Yes, good night and good luck. Be patient. It will take time. And um, thanks for listening. P.S. Love yourself. And love yourself a lot. <laughs> Hot damn. Shit I'm Not Proud Of is made with love in Denver, Colorado, and is recorded at Creative Density Coworking. If you find yourself in Denver and need a low-cost podcasting studio to record at, look up Creative Density at www.creativedensity.com. Next week, we will explore for whom it is a dangerous time in America. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. on my mind I'm by your side